Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Roger Lee, CMO at General Assembly. Roger, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Super pleased to talk to you and your audience. Well, thank you very much. Engage Your Tribe is brought to you by Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. We are a full-service B2B podcasting agency, and we help brands use podcasting as a fun and efficient way to have authentic conversations with the people you need to get to know to grow your business. You can learn more at tribknowledge.com. So, Roger, back to you. Tell us a little bit about your background in marketing and about General Assembly. Absolutely. I ironically have been in marketing literally my entire life. My mom was a professional photographer and my very first job at a young age was as her assistant. And I have loved marketing and advertising since then. And so I have literally been doing it for over 30 years, despite my youthful appearance. <laughs> General Assembly is the OG in the tech bootcamp space. We provide more net new junior tech talent to the biggest hires of tech talent at scale, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Disney, than any other bootcamp. And we have both a direct-to-consumer aspect of the business, and we have a B2B aspect to the business. We like to think of that as sort of a continuous spectrum of helping people find the placements they need, whether they're a candidate or an employer. Okay, very good. And I just, I'm such a big fan of the whole boot camp, boot camp concept. That's kind of hard to say. Yeah. And I think especially these days, when the costs of education are so high, and go into a four-year college, I think, you know, people are starting to maybe think twice about the value you get. You know, I have two kids in college and it ain't cheap, even though they're going in state. You know, I just think like boot camps are so valuable. I think we're going to see more and more of that kind of thing. Well, we are seeing more and more of that. And we're seeing a cash infusion into the space, to be honest. I mean, literally there's been over a billion dollars just in the last 18 months in new marketing spend relative to various bootcamp players coming in. And so we see people like To You buying Trilogy and white labeling bootcamps for universities. We see straight bootcamp players, we see integrated solutions. And so I, I think there's absolutely a need. When you look at a statistic like for every single computer science graduate, there are 10 open positions, you realize that even notwithstanding the student debt crisis, there simply isn't enough capacity to meet the demand right now. And yeah. we need to think of a different way to reskill people into these lucrative placements that are good for both them and, and society. And, and so, and that's not just a domestic thing, to be honest, as much there is more growth internationally in the bootcamp space than there is within the U.S. Very interesting. So now in terms of marketing, which is your specialty, you know, every B2B company wants to be a thought leader, or at least tries to be, right? you know, just like every, every company really B2B company, no exception, kind of has to be a media company. And the two really go hand in hand, but that's not easy to do. And I think a lot of thought leadership content, so-called out there, doesn't really cut through or just kind of blends into the mix, you know? So in your view, what is it that elevates some th thought leadership content or like what, what, what do you need to, what kind of strategies do you have to have in mind to create stuff that, that really is seen as leading and not just following? Well, first of all, you can't be a pretender, right? And, and so we, as a part of a deco actually do have to do the investment in knowing 
the employment space and employment trends better than our very own clients. And if you um, aren't keeping it real, if you're not bringing the goods, then um, people are going to see that right away. Because when you're talking about business problems, they're looking for real solutions and they're going to know what's real. So between making the investments in our own expertise, leveraging sort of our parent company, ADECO, which by the way, tied for you know, second world's largest staffing agency, and then partnering with people. And so one of the things that is key to our success is partnering with someone like MZ that truly knows labor trends and taking those labor trends and turning them into the insights that hiring managers need and can use is a key piece of it. So the, the content has to be worthwhile. You have to invest in the expertise. Obviously, that's not enough because if you have the best white paper in the world that no one ever reads, it does exactly nothing. So you also then have to figure out how to get it in front of the right people in a way that is accessible and usable. And so the other thing that a lot of people don't really have a ton of time for is to read, you know, deep treatises that are 50 pages and annotated. You give the insights, get them credible with source so that those that are interested out in front of people in a usable way is important and then do it where they can see it with classic marketing techniques with regard to hooks and pithy headlines is all part of the game. Yeah, for sure. A lot to unpack there. So as you just said, it's partly the thought itself, having the information, having the, the data and having the real deal, mm -hmm. not just stuff that you're repurposing from somewhere else being able to get it out there through the proper channels, get it in front of your audience. And then lastly, and I want to dwell on this a little bit more, packaging it in a way that makes it consumable and that's not going to you know, bore people, right? So to what, extent, to what extent do you think that thought leadership needs to be not only thought-provoking, but also to a certain extent entertaining? I mean, it's such a funny thing in the entertainment era where literally everything, news, politicians, all of it are, you know, as much entertainment as anything else. But I don't personally start there. Where I start is a much more benefits-driven place, which is, you know, I like to remind people that I'm a target of B2B advertising myself as the CMO. And the number one thing that I would put out there is if this doesn't immediately tell me it's going to solve a problem of mine, I will pay no attention to it whatsoever. If it can be mm -hmm. entertaining along the way, great, but it's got to pass the bar of solving a problem of mine first. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's got to solve one of my top 10 problems, right? Because I, you know, I have 50 problems and I'm not even paying attention to the last 40 at any particular point in time. So it's got to be timely. It has to solve a problem. And then it has to be engaging beyond that, right? And so the headline tells me it's going to solve a problem and then I get to it. And if it bores me, I'm probably going to disengage. That's true. But I, I would consider entertainment secondary. Okay. So, so probably engaging is a better, is higher on your list of priorities, as you just said. And so then I think that to, to me, like as a, as a, a writer at heart or as a trained writer, if you're talking about written material, right? Like a white paper or any other written material, I would judge that in terms of its engagement quality on the how well is it written? You know, is it is it getting to the point? Is it concise? Does it flow? Stuff like that. And, you know, what what do you think along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, if it's if it's poorly written, I mean, remember, the, the B2B audience tends to be 
a well-educated, busy audience. And so well-written and concise are table stakes. Yeah. Additional things that have to add to the technique is it needs to be scannable as well, because no matter what the topic is, the individual piece of the topic, different people are going to be interested in different parts. And and I can't remember the last time I read a white paper, you know, from front to back. I just, mm -hmm. I don't have time to read linearly. So what I will do is, okay, the headline gets me in and I start scanning the subheads to see if any of that content actually engages me enough to read the body. And so I do think it's not just, you know, concise, well-written, engaging. It's also usable. You know, can I get to the part that I need at a scan? I, I don't think that it's true that nobody reads anymore. I think it is true that you have to give them a reason to read. Mm, yeah. And I guess I would add, based on what you just said, it's important to understand how people read. Like you just said, you're not going to sit down next to the fire and curl up with a white paper and like, you know, peruse it in depth. You're going to scan it at least first and then maybe zero in on the parts that are really important. But I mean, that seems like a really important insight. People consume things in a particular way, like scanning, and you have to know that and then write it in a way that makes it easy to scan. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I mean, you know, you've got me. When I have skipped to page three, I read it and I go, huh, I better go back and read page one. Like if that happens, I'm engaged, I'm in, and then I'm going through and I read it, but I, it's very rare that I just start on page one and start reading. Yeah. And also, you know, it just occurred to me, I mean, I guess any one piece of content doesn't exist in isolation, right? Like you're, if as a marketer, you're putting stuff out there as, as part of a larger strategy. And so part of that, I'm assuming, but tell me what, tell me how you guys think about it is to get the reader or the consumer to then kind of maybe do the next thing, maybe not right away, but ultimately maybe to even go to the website and kind of check out, oh, okay, well, what else does this company have to say? What are yeah, they about? I mean, I think what do the, they offer? From the B2B perspective, you should back up a little bit and sort of say, well, why does content marketing even exist? Right. And, and at yeah. the end of the day, uh, the B2B marketer is trying to make sure that the sales team has leads. Yeah. And so generally speaking, that's called an MQL where it's a marketing qualified lead. And it goes to some point in the sales structure where they now are taking over and whether that's a first sales interaction or whatever the qualifying moment that they're going to say, okay, this was a worthwhile lead and it converted. The marketing point of view is how do I get to that point? And so what I would say is regardless of product, if you are working with a B2B salesperson, they want the right person at the right company at the right time. And how one from a marketing perspective will think of that is, okay, right person is generally defined by title. What are the sets of titles that I'm sort of looking for? And right company, there's a lot of ways, you know, Dun & Bradstreet, revenue, number of employees, whatever. The right time one is actually very difficult to get at. And from a marketing perspective, you can do some domain retargeting, which is, hey, you're looking for these things. And if these people have been searching other things, then that's a leading indicator that's technology enabled to say this is possibly the right time. It's a pretty sophisticated solution that not everyone is able to do. A lower tech solution, though, then becomes the content marketing in itself, because as we've just been talking about, nobody wastes time on reading white papers that don't solve a problem for them. And so they are essentially 
signaling their intent that this is the right time by willing to spend time with the content. So mm -hmm. the only reason this content exists is to get that signal to your lead flow. So yes, either it is to the website or to a lead form, or it's so engaging that you've put it behind a lead form so that to even read it, they had to gate it. And, and everyone needs to look at their own tactics with regard to what that really means for quality. Because if you put it behind the gate, then you know maybe it solves it, maybe it doesn't. And so you will potentially have a lower intent lead. Whereas if you put it in front of the gate and then there is a hand-raising activity, like go to our site to find out more, fill out a form or whatever, Generally speaking, you'll have a lower volume, but you'll have much higher intent because they've gone ahead and done something. And so I would say you would experiment within yourself relative to are you optimizing for volume or are you optimizing for quality? It's my personal experience that anybody who is downstream of anyone else always complains about the quality of what they're getting. And anyone who is upstream of anyone else says, just work the volume that I give you, please. So, uh, you know, your mileage may vary, but I'd put that out there. <laughs> Can you give me an example of how all this works at General Assembly? You know, an example of a, a piece of content or a campaign that you guys have done that performed really well and kind of how you made it work? Well, for instance, the recent partnership with MZ, which is sort of a employment statistics and data collection company that then generates insights, we partnered with them to come up with insights for you know, fi financial services, for instance, is uh, a group of people that we work with quite a bit. And everybody sort of has different sets of needs. And so you take this data and you package it into insights against known problems. And I mean, I know everyone probably has talked about the impact of the pandemic ad nauseum. But from a hiring perspective, the great resignation is real. And what that means is the world has flipped a little bit and the current way of hiring tech or the previous way of hiring tech talent isn't working anymore because it depended on there being more applicants than positions. And so the entire process was a big filter. It was, I'm going to get more applicants than I know what to do with. And I need to figure out how to narrow that down to the point that I engage a human. They have a manageable amount of work to make an offer. And, and that's been blown up. And so you have people that simply cannot fill the roles. They have more roles than applicants. And so now we're able as experts in this space to say, yes, this is going on. It's been going a while. And there are solutions that you as a hire would have no reason to do because it's not your core business. But our core business is creating a supply chain of net new tech talent. And so by marrying what our core strength is with a solution that they need, we're able to attract attention in the moment that they need it. And so, you know, you might say we're circumstances have come together to create the perfect storm of opportunity for GA and, and, and we're grateful for that. But the tactic of demonstrating your expertise against a timely problem that your target has is where we started this conversation. You know, that's exactly mm -hmm. what you need to do to get the attention because again, you know, 50 problems is probably a low estimate. I, I, the phrase is I've got 99 problems, right? But I, I can't pay attention to all of them at any one time. And so back to the content that convinces me one of two things, you know, which is one, it solves one of my top 10 problems or two, it is so much better than my current solution 
for my other 89 problems that it elevates them, that I can get savings beyond that. And it shifts my thinking with regard to what I thought my top 10 problems slash opportunities were. Both of those things are valuable. And, and frankly, I would suggest for most B2B marketers, the second one is the more likely scenario. Generally speaking, mm -hmm. you're, you know, remember, if you're a business, you are doing something about every single one of your problems. You have your own estimate with regard to how well it's working. And if you can change your target's opinion of how well their solution is working versus yours, you can change the order of priority of their problems because they might go, well, God, I didn't realize I could double my savings in this area. So mm, I, I, I would yeah. suggest that that is a probably more common scenario that is important in the B2B space. Yeah, well, really interesting. So I remember reading several months ago, a study, I think it was a partnership from LinkedIn and Gartner, I think, although mm -hmm. I might be getting that wrong, about thought leadership. Mm -hmm. And the point being, there were two kind of main takeaways that I remember. One, that buyers and decision makers do put quite a lot of stock in thought leadership and, and, and consume quite a bit of it. But also that, at least according to the study, they rated the vast majority of the thought leadership they come across as mediocre at best. Well, and, and, and a small, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I ahead. mean, Gardner's whole business model is based on that being true. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. we need Gardner yeah. to guide us to, okay, there's more solutions than you can possibly peruse. Many of them are bad. And so we have a business model of curating all of this thought yeah. leadership towards the stuff that's actually good and useful. Yeah. So, and it means though that a lot of companies are putting out stuff that the people they're trying to persuade are not impressed by. Like in your view, what's, what's at stake if you're publishing thought leadership stuff that's, you know, mediocre, not great? Well, there's a financial reality um, in front of a lot of companies that they need sales to survive. And they may or may not have the investment dollars to do primary research to come up with something new or interesting. And so, you know, content marketing and thought leadership get used synonymously, but they're not. Because you can have an intern write an article about anything, put it on LinkedIn with a fancy title and say, hey, check this out. And the financiality is that for a smaller company that can't do that but needs leads, they may very well just be doing that. And so depending on size of opportunity and that sort of thing, there's just a lot to wade through. What is at stake, of course, is credibility. So mm -hmm. I get some pretty poor content marketing sent my way. And I personally do notice volume of impressions from the same people and that if it's poor, then I will discount them. I mean, the truth is I respond to far less than I get, but I don't like block it all. And so what will happen is if I notice I'm getting really low quality stuff, I'll just blacklist that email address. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, the, what's at stake is you don't know how many of your targets are doing that. If you're putting out stuff that looks like spam, but mm -hmm. we all have pretty sophisticated stuff that if you're even getting to me via email, you've already gone through a couple of spam filters. And if I then blacklist you, you've you know lost whatever opportunity you paid to get my title into your database. 
same thing sort of with LinkedIn, which is another classic place to just, you put it on your profile, you know, as I get spammed by profiles that I don't trust, I, I simply blacklist them as well. And, and if you're a company mm -hmm. trying to break through the clutter, I, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do because then you end up buying money or putting impressions that are never even being seen. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Right. Wow. A lot of, I, I really like what you, you mentioned just now about content marketing and thought leadership often equated, but they're really not the same thing. Important differences. And I'm, I just made a mental note, do a, a podcast episode specifically about that. It's a great topic. Really interesting. But that's for another day. Yeah, so enough. right now, Roger, I just want to say uh, thank you for your time, for your insights and for a, a great discussion. Well, uh, thank you for having me. I, I could talk about this kind of stuff all day. So I very much appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. Engage Your Tribe is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com, that's conversa with two N's, to learn more about how we help B2B brand start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers they need to get to know to grow their business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.